Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Avery and Beck, welcome to The Mentor. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Mark. All the way from Melbourne. Yes, right. fresh off the off the plane this morning. Fresh off the boat, you bet. So no, I was. Fresh <laughs> <off the plane. laughs> and uh, you both are co-founders of Ultraviolet. What we're talking about here is a supreme screen, mm-hmm. um, SPF 50 plus, mm-hmm. hydrating facial skin screen. Something that's good for your skin. Mm-hmm. In other words, it hydrates it and also gives you some protection from the sun. One of these gets sold somewhere in the world every 30 seconds or something along those lines. Yeah, like that. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. pretty impressive from my point of view. <laughs> What's more impressive is I got no idea about these things. Um, the two of you, you mm-hmm. co-founders, mm-hmm. how the hell did you guys get together? We met working for Mecca Brands. So mm-hmm. um, I'm sure you're familiar with that. I even know who Mecca Brands are. Yes, mm-hmm. with that retailer. We we kind of, um, Beck was actually my boss at Mecca Brands and, and between us we kind of um, ran the private label department at, at Mecca, so all of their kind of in-house brands. There's lots of big problems when it comes to protecting your skin every day. And I think what became apparent to us working in prestige beauty is that skin experts everywhere agreed that sun is the number one aging element that can impact your skin. A sun protection product, SPF, with broad spectrum is actually a really powerful anti-aging ingredient. So the problem is that even though it's a known product that everybody should use, there are lots of problems with what was on the market at the moment. Other SPF products. Other SPFs, yeah. So they were sticky, greasy, made your eyes water, made your skin break out. They made my eyes, that happens to me. So like if I I put it on the weekend, Mm -hmm. I, I get like, weird weepy eyes and I thought it might have been the grass or something. No, it's often like um, something in that formulation. Some allergy. Or an ingredient in that formulation that's that's reacting to you. Because you sweat it and something ends up in your eyes. Yeah, that's a a very common feeling. How did you work that stuff out? We saw it, you know, at Mecca you're encouraged to spend a lot of time in the retail environment. Um, The customer really is very number one. So you do understand. They tell you. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you do it, talking to customers, you know, and that was just in one environment, but you it's, you know, a pretty good, I guess, indicate indicator of the beauty, the prestige beauty environment. Um and we've also got, you know, we're we're consumers ourselves. Yeah. We're yeah. we're probably the number one beauty consumers. We've been in beauty, you know, pretty much our entire careers. So I think part of it's kind of a bit instinctive. Um and another part of it is thinking personally about what we want and what our friends would want because, you know, I think within our group of friends we've got a large subset mm-hmm. of of the kind of beauty consumer. But it, is, it can be dangerous when you do a survey too, but what you're saying is at Mecca 
you got to talk to customers all the time. We were used to shopping all over the beauty category, not just necessarily prestige beauty. And when we looked at the bulk of the sun protection market in Australia, and as it is in lots of countries, it was sold in mass channels. So it was sold in grocery, um, drugstore, pharmacies. And when you're selling to a price point, there's only so much you can invest in those formulations. So there were huge gaps in what the potential could have been by moving that product category into a prestige environment you could afford to spend on counteracting all of those skin issues that we could easily identify, the greasiness, the the um, sensitivity, um, yeah. that type of thing. So that White was also cast. another. What was that? White cast. What the hell is that? Uh, that means, you know, I, I'm sure um, people listening would have remembered or, you know, still today are putting on a sunscreen and it leaving like white oh, yeah, film yeah. all over yeah, your yeah, yeah. face, which is an issue when you're dealing with, you know, with all skin tones, but particularly when you're dealing with someone who's not white, um, you know, yeah, yeah. and that's as a result of some UV filters, um, zinc and titanium dioxide, but also it's about knowing how to working with chemists as well to, to be able to offset those and and kind of looking at premium ingredients. So yeah. like you're, you're both fair, both mm-hmm. of you. Yep. Um, and did it start there or was it more about you understood the the marketplace generally from your job at Mecca? I think a bit of both. You know, we did understand the market. We we kind of we knew what the issues were with the with the current formulations on the market, um, and we knew how to make we knew how to solve them. But also, as you said, we we are fair. Um, and I think you know when when we started this, I was like thirty. Well, a year ago. <laughs> Quite a few years ago. When we passed, not the actual business when we started yeah. the seed of of the business. I think I was thirty. I think I, that was my my first kind of foray into thinking that I wasn't going to live forever. I think you hit that mark at the end of your 20s when you realise you're not invincible and that includes ageing and and I think a large part of that was vanity and I was like, if I don't want to be like in the plastic surgeon's office at 39, I'm, which I might still be by the way, but it won't be because <laughs> I've got sun damage, um, I'm going to need to start thinking about wearing sunscreen every day and, and prior to that, prior to coming on to, to Mecca, I, I didn't really understand the impact that sun could have on the skin. And I, so I think the more, you know, we educated ourselves and the more mm. aware we were of that, it became a very personal kind of, I guess, project to both of us. And, you know, we are fair. And, you know, Beck, um, she calls it, I don't say this, but she calls herself moly. <laughs> <laughs> and do. so we're very much of that skin type that can get um, melanomas quite easily. And so you live in Australia too. And we live in Australia and we're all genetically, dis- most of us are genetically displaced here. So, our skin is not compatible with the climate that we're in. Maybe you could explain a little because I know on the back here talks about formularised in one of the toughest places mm-hmm. in the world when it comes mm-hmm. to the sun. You know, Australia obviously has the highest, or not obviously, has the highest incidence of skin cancer in the world and the sun is harsher over our continent. Right. And we do have a lifestyle where we spend a lot of time outside. So Why wouldn't you go to the beach? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's what we do. Exactly. So that's one of the reasons for that statement. But the other reason is we also live in a country that has really quite um, tight regulations about claims, uh, particularly around SPF. So it's what we write on the back of our pack is it's made in one of the toughest places in the world to get a sunscreen approved because it actually is. So our standards to claim an SPF 50, to claim SPF 50 plus or to claim broad spectrum are among the toughest in the world in terms of the regulatory uh, bodies that govern products such as sunscreen. Mm. That's a good point because, you know, lots of people look at these things cynically and they go, oh, yeah, what a lot of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Our ACCC, our, one of our regulators, mm-hmm. uh, consumer regulators in Australia, 
um, have field officers mm-hmm. out in the system all the time, looking not just at sunscreen, but sunscreen, but mm-hmm. could be the the weight of something that's you know it could be a, a frozen blueberry packet that says the mm-hmm. weight's fifty grams, and they're, they're checking the weight, making sure that these things are accurate. Yes, and of course, there's massive penalties if you say something that's incorrect. Correct. Who is the regulator you need to talk to Mm -hmm. and who polices this stuff after that happens? So the regulator involved here is the TGA, the Therapeutic Goods Administration. So they govern our products because we claim SPF as a primary function of those products. What does SPF mean? Sun protection factor. Oh, okay. SPF, that's what it means. Okay. But who comes up with this uh, standard? Like uh, is it like an international standard or something? No. No. There's no international standards. Right. Which is why it's such a Mm. hard environment to do. It's a hard product to do globally because every kind of area of the world has its own um, way of testing and Mm. and approving sunscreens. But is Australia one of the toughest? Yes. Correct. That's why we say that. So if you can prove it, you can prove it pretty much anyway. That's right. Yeah. What do they put on a mouse and put a mouse in the sun? I mean, how do they work out SPF 50 plus? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's really interesting actually. Um, uh, So SPF testing, we follow an ISO standard, a a framework of testing and it's a number that means it it meets a certain quality of an international testing standard. So whilst every jurisdiction is individual, there are certain elements that cross over. So we test according to a series of rules um, that is of a certain standard. Um, And that is done, SPF testing, UVB testing is done on actual people. Right. So uh, a square will be cut out of the back of someone's shirt, uh, a, a measured dose of product will be applied to them and then light will be applied um, under simulated conditions and then they will test how much, how burnt you get from using that product. Do people get paid for this? Yeah, Yeah, they do. They do. SPF testing is very expensive for that reason. Wow. Yeah. When you first came out with the product, you must have got a scientist to uh, sit down and formulate this for you. So we work with... um, formulators and chemists, um, scientists, and also contract manufacturers. So there is, we obviously, from our time at Mecca, we had a bit of a, um, I guess, understanding of the general kind of contract manufacturer and and, um, formulator uh, scope across Australia because we'd worked with a lot of them. So we knew who did good quality work and and in in the sun space specifically and and who we should avoid. Um, So we kind of just, you know, we had good relationships with a couple of people that we knew could deliver the formulations that we we wanted to to make. And so we kind of just briefed them and and it went from there. And and, um, now we have, you know, we're working with labs all over Australia. We've got, you know, handfuls of chemists in Australia and internationally. That's cool. And do you mind telling me what maybe some of the things that you tried to make sure you didn't have? I think to summarise a lot of the things we eliminated out is texture. So we really spent time focusing on how that product feels when it comes out of the tube oh, onto your hand. I don't hand. understand that. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Texture. Um, Can I okay. try yeah. this? Yeah. Pour it. Put Where it in on it? the back of your hand. It's got some plastic covering yeah, yeah, on it. Yeah, it's got it. Okay. So, it's, okay, so, so it's not a Mark is experiencing a skin screen. Here we go. Pump. Yeah. There we go. Right. So um, tell so, me what you mean by texture now. So, what, what am I looking for? So that should rub in faster than yeah. um, a traditional sunscreen. I can't tell you because I haven't used a sunscreen in my hand for it ever. Man, okay. In fact, never. Okay. Uh, but, well, but, imagine but, it's on your face because clearly you wear sunscreen yeah, a lot. Yeah, I do, yeah. Yep. Um, and so it should sink into your skin, yeah. feel nice to touch, not greasy, not sticky. I can't even see it. So yeah. it's Correct. not shiny. 
There no, you go. There so it's sort of the same as my other hand. Yes. Um, That's very important to lots of people. The, my hand's the same colour. Mm-hmm. So There's no white cast. White That's cast. what we're talk, dealing with there. There's no greasiness. Um, it sinks in nicely yeah. and it feels great. So what that means for a woman rushing to get out of the house in the morning is it makes it quicker for her to get ready. It works nicely with what she's already put on her skin or it will save her time from doing an additional layer of a moisturiser and then you pop some makeup over the top and it doesn't mess with that and move it all around your face. The point I mentioned before about having a white cast, I think people see a white sunscreen and kind of freak out a bit and think it's going to make their skin look right. white. Yep. Um, so I offsetting that with a bit of iron oxides, um, right. which are what that colour is. Yeah, but yeah, it doesn't yeah. leave a tint on the skin. No. Yeah, yeah. Again, we're trying to play in more of a prestige beauty space where it's about makeup and prestige skincare and making sure that what goes on your face plays with everything else that's already on your face. Did you start this off as a um, side hustle? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So nighttime stuff. <laughs> well, weekend. weekend. Weekend stuff yeah. on a whiteboard. So yeah. um, when we when we came up with the idea, Ava came to me and said, have a guess what? Why don't we go and, you know, talk about launching a brand? Um, I think it should be sun. There's a real gap in the market. No one's doing sun in a beautiful, elevated, prestige beauty context and no one's bringing skincare into sunscreen and one of the words you read on the front of that pack is skin screen uh, which is really important to us because in one word that caps that encapsulates yes. what we skin do screen. is different yeah mm. so it's skincare plus sunscreen it's right. bringing more skincare qualities such as the moisturizer such as a primer um, other ingredients that really help make that product feel beautiful on your skin and give you skincare benefits. So you could replace an existing product in your routine with this and get some protection as well. So skin screen was what we came up with together that uh, was what was going to make our range different. And we gave ourselves six months on the weekends, um, on a whiteboard, thrashing out ideas and with the aim of coming up with a, as, as good as possible a business case uh, and a business plan. Definitely a few wines, quite a few coffees, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And um, and that six months gave us a bit of a blueprint for lots of things. You know, what production needed to look like, what distribution needed to look like, how much money we needed to start this, uh, what retailers we wanted to be retailed in. What and actually we said direct to consumer was going to be a key platform, uh, which it still is. So we did a six month plan. And then we decided to take it on Christmas holidays with us and socialise it with a few people the that idea. we trusted, mm. that yeah. plan. The plan, yeah. So really like test it out. Um, and then we came back from that holiday and said, this thing's got legs. I think mm. we should really go for it. Um, so we left um, our you know careers and our jobs behind <laughs> and branched into the world of trying to have side hustles and, you know, pay the bills until we got ultraviolet off the ground, which was – Two and up. Well, we didn't pay ourselves for almost three years after that point. Mm. How did how did you survive? Um, I had a very supportive husband. I got a part time job. Um, so you did, you did something. You did, yeah, you we did, did consulting. Yeah, we did consulting. We did product development for celebrities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah. And then, what's it feel like to work for your boss? Like uh, yeah. going from working with your boss, rather I should say, to being in partnership with your boss, and probably more importantly, from your side of point of view, back, what's it like to having somebody work for you to become your partner? Well, I'll let Ava answer that first. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think Beck and I had a pretty collaborative kind of working environment. When she hired me, she hired me to f- plug a gap 
in that team that wasn't being met, mm-hmm. I think, by anyone in the team. That's marketing. It was, yeah, creativity, marketing, brand, like a real understanding of brand. And I think that's what I love is is the brand side of things. Beck is and continues to be, even though I don't report to her like I watch her. She's a wonderful leader doesn't have an ego. So, I mean, some days I still do feel like I work for her. I'm like, oh, I've spent too much money here. Sorry. Um, And I have no control over that whatsoever. (laughs) I think we kind of both know where our strengths are. You know, Ava makes it sound like it was all wonderful and it has been, but I also think it was quite deliberate. So we, we did spend time early on really articulating each of our individual values, we got some help to do this and, mm. and and we were deliberate about which of those values do we want to put into the business and bring together. Mm. And so now we have this actually super helpful document that is the values of our business that were genuinely merged, like the, all of the great things that Ava wanted this business to be and for me, to, for this business to be on one piece of paper. It's like a brand bible? No, it's like a value statement. What, what does that document. mean then? So we talk about the things, the, the values that our business has that we want to continue to see. So, for example, one of them is always find the fun because we loved having fun together. Mm. We wanted, we didn't want to work for a business that, in a business that wasn't fun. So that's something that we we actually look to have in our everyday. We celebrate the wins. So it's a very deliberate statement of how we want the business to be. And I think we made that from the two parts of us coming together. So I, that, I actually genuinely think that has helped us. Um, you know, co-parent this this brand together because it's got both of our fingerprints all over it. Mm. Um, and and then it is also, from my point of view, acknowledging, um, you know, businesses we've both worked in before where you can see the great businesses are uh, some of the parts. And I was very conscious of my strengths and weaknesses and Ava had plugged those beautifully. And I think uh, it's really acknowledging I can't do this without her. So um, it's it's a it's a great partnership. We work hard at it, and I think yeah, not having ego is a really important part. It doesn't matter who's who. We we do this together. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. my hand here the ultraviolet um it's called dream screen and i have the other one which is called the hydrating facial skin screen by the way do, do you go off and um trademark 
skin screen and dream screen? Are they things you trademark? Because I know I think there is a team on this. Well, I haven't got my glass on, but they're... yes, yeah, tra- yeah. Trademarking out, you know, IP is a really important part of of building a brand. Yeah, we didn't start doing any creative work for Ultraviolet until we had the trademark for Ultraviolet in the bag. Uh, so the name Ultraviolet, the name yeah. Ultraviolet. And how hard was that to do? It was hard. Yeah. Um. So we started that in 2017. Before, as I said, before we did anything. So we, um, you know, we spell our Violet, like the girl's name, so it's slightly different to Violet. Yep. Uh, and that was intentional to really help a um, couple of things. One, build some personality with the brand because we talk about Violet or Vi um, in a personality context but also to help us get the trademark for Ultraviolet. Where do you have the trademark apart from Australia obviously but where else have you registered it? Everywhere, we're a four-year-old brand, mm. so we not we, that old. No, no. As in, we we count four years since we've been in market. Yeah, so yeah, since yeah. we've been getting revenue, um, I guess, and and it's a massive investment. So we really prioritised the brand name as our first trademark. We then went on to our product names, and then we have other parts of the brand that we trademark that are important that we want to invest in from a strategic point of view. So there's a hierarchy of trademarks and we really pick our battles obviously Australia was going to be our home market when we when we started ultraviolet we didn't necessarily know it was going to be a global brand we wanted it to be but we wouldn't rush off and do all global markets at once so we needed to see that did this thing have legs we you know was it worth us chucking in our jobs and doing this before we took the next phase which is picking various jurisdictions around the world so we we just used um a, a sole trader, like another a lawyer that did all of this registration for us. We knew it was a bit of a minefield and we don't have expertise in that area. And uh, so we started just picking our key markets, picking our key products, working through it as much as we could afford at the time. Mm-hmm. In the first few years, we, we didn't spend more than ten, fifteen thousand dollars um, $15,000. But quite quickly, we realised that protecting those marks in multiple jurisdictions and being more, um, I guess, assertive about protecting them was really important. So we've switched to uh, a bigger firm with more expertise globally and it's a real budget line that we have to allocate each year because it's protecting our brand. It's very yeah. important. So it's an above-the-line expense which is mm. ongoing. It doesn't mm. stop. Yeah. How do you, and you, you mentioned you picked a, a lawyer, but basically what we're talking about here is usually a patent attorney. Mm-hmm. or the Trademark tra- lawyer. Pa- patent or trademark lawyer, but yeah. a lot of times they're, they're sort of not practicing law as much as they are practicing in intellectual property protection. Mm-hmm. Usually, it's a very specified patents, area. Um, yes, you know, um, copyright. They're, they're, they're mm-hmm. all the same sort of thing. They're, but they're intellectual property attorneys and mm-hmm. and or lawyers. Um, and as you say, you, you pick someone small enough to deal with your budget because mm-hmm. you've got a big firm that cost your fortune. Absolutely, yeah, we know now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and as you go along, though, you cut the cloth to suit. So you know, mm-hmm. you, you're a more territories you need more bench strength so you go to a bigger organization correct and how do you choose which territory you're going to go to next is it based on where you expect to launch your product next yes absolutely so this is where your distribution strategy has to go hand in hand with your ip strategy and um, we really choose the markets based on where we plan to be in in the next three to five years how do you manage your budget then uh is it i mean because a lot of people say to me should i spend money now on advertising marketing ip etc for when i'm going to make the money in the future and let's say we're talking a year out or do i spend my money or do i sort of 
not spend my money now and uh, and hope, hopefully everything comes through and I just try to match my expenses with my revenues. You know, how do you work that out? Like spend now, do yeah. it later yeah. or just spend what I'm earning. In other words, grow slowly or grow hard fast. Yeah, I Taking guess. Taking a risk, by the way. Yes, yeah. And, and I, I think it's obviously a multi-layered question. I think the first thing is to be mindful of your unit economics. You need to have some, we need to have some funding or some profit to be able to fuel the growth of your business. So you need to be able to have a good margin One business. or the other or both. Both, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I guess setting your business up where you've got the right understanding of your cost of goods and, and your margin that you're, um, that you're offering to various parties to support you is the first level. And then budget it falls out of that. And in the first year, there wasn't really much budget for everything, anything other than, you know, investing product, investing cash into our product and our stock. So when we then did build up uh, a little bit of a war chest, then we could start to prioritize um, all of those things. And I think in the early years, we really did prioritize marketing, but we didn't spend a lot on marketing. We invested in content too, you know, know, beautiful imagery, bringing the product to life so that we could tell stories on social media or education programs for retail store teams. Gifting, Um, lots of gifting. Lots of gifting. So having product is really good because you can use that to to gift. We wouldn't necessarily expect anything Mm. of them, right? It might be that they talk, you might hope that someone talks about it on their social media, You, but you can't always expect that, especially of like bigger influencers or celebrities. Um, but, you know, you would hope that they use it. They have a great experience and they talk about it, whether that's publicly or not. And I think that's the kind of, that word of mouth, which is really old school kind of marketing mm. is obviously what you see on social media, but, you know, even behind the scenes, telling a friend, telling your mum, telling buying one for your sister, whatever it is, that's that's kind of what what you would hope for. And we are, you know, targeted in in who we send to. We don't just do a mass kind of anyone who's got a, over a certain number of followers. We we kind of do like to curate that um ultraviolet girl, I suppose. And so even if they don't have heaps of followers, even if they've got a thousand, but they're a really beautiful florist or they're a DJ or like we kind of pull out something that they might be influential in their own environment, regardless of how many followers they've got. So what do you think, if you had to pick one thing, is the most powerful piece of marketing can remember a day when this really took off? We had an article that was, um, it was news.com.au and it was written uh, by a journalist at the time and was it your birthday? It was Beck? my birthday. It was Beck's birthday. Yeah. So yeah. it was and we woke up on a random Sunday and we had like I think I woke up to this was early days. This would have been in the first year. I think we woke up to like $20,000 worth of sales which is like a lot for, you know, not, no, yeah, not even a year. And no, it was like three months in. And yeah. we used to, we, we, are, we yeah, have our shoppers on Shopify. And I remember in the early days we had notifications on. So every time there was a sale, you would get a notification on and your you phone a and a little noise. Yeah. And I think I turned the noise off for some reason, but I looked at my phone and I thought, oh, this is a mistake. Like there yeah. can't be that many sales. Something's gone wrong at yeah. Shopify. And so then we looked on it and you were messaging me. You'd seen it by then going, what is going yeah, on? I think I was like, what's happening? Oh, happy birthday, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were too. Yeah. Um, and so it took us a little while to figure out what was going on. And then we eventually found the article and it was said this $47 cream will change your life. Well, yeah, is the be- yeah so change your life will change yeah. your skin or change is the best pro- anti-aging product you'll ever be able to use. Yeah. 
And I and then Apple, I think that kind of it was on their That's homepage. Right. Then Apple put it Pitched through it their up. news. So we were getting screenshots of like the Apple <laughs> news page from friends sending it. And so that you know, there's been little things like that scattered throughout. I think the brand's history that, and it's never there's you know it's not like we've had one you know, viral TikTok that's kind of changed the trajectory of the brand. We've had kind of a lot, accumulation of things over time. But that one article, um, it was a news.com article. Yeah. Um, did you place the article or did you get it? No, no, we didn't so even we didn't know, know it was happening. It. Right. We had no idea. I'm dying to know um, how you funded this business. Um, have you gone to investors or not gone to investors? Or what, what's the deal? So I guess when we go back to that, um, my living room on a Sunday afternoon and we threw up how much money we needed, we then went and raided piggy banks and begged, borrowed and steal from, um, stole from friends and family, well, not no. from friends, but mostly family. <laughs> but and you, you did your, your seed rounds. We so did. Our, we funded it ourselves. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, but with family and yourselves yeah, and whatever you can afford. Yeah, mortgages and what kind of thing being remortgaged. So, yeah, we um, we funded it ourselves and, and that pool of cash, it was $200,000 each, bought us our first round of stock. Um, our marketing and has Warehouse. carried us all the way four years on. So we haven't raised any other capital since that time. Wow. The business has been funded through retained earnings and that strong, you know, margin management, tight cash budget flow. control, really keeping a laser focus on cash flow. Um, and it's taken us this far. So we, the business could carry on probably for the foreseeable future without a, a cash injection, but we are going through some fundraising at the moment because the bigger the markets that you enter, the bigger the resources you need. We want to grow in a way that's really sustainable so the growth is sustainable and we also want to do it in a way that doesn't burn out our teams along the way. We want to have purposeful teams and resources to fund that growth. So we are doing a, um, a capital raise at the moment. This, so this will be your first one? Our yeah. first one. Yeah. Do you appoint someone to run that process for you, external? Yes. We, we have, And yes. do they take you to all the, the, the usual suspects when it comes to investing in businesses like this at this stage? Do you have to um, proof up the concept mm. of the new market and, mm. and how do you go about that? Um. Great question. I guess it's really having um, some runs on the board. So yeah. we entered the UK 18 months ago, nearly two years ago now, and that was almost a proof of concept. Does this little Aussie skin screen uh, concept called ultraviolet work in a market like the UK that hasn't been brought up with a slip, slop, slap community health message? We know the Brits love a tan. I'm married to one. He loves a tan and not, not a safe tan, I should say. Um, and so that was a real proof to us, does this idea scale? And we were blown away in that first six months of, uh, and we partnered with a great retailer, Space NK, again, in that prestige beauty space. And they supported us, but had reasonable expectations of what this would be based on what historic sun care products had done in their business. And this blew all of that out of the water. So that was the first moment for us saying, okay, this concept is proven in another market. Can we can we grow from there? So then we launched additional retailers in the UK, such as Harrods, Liberty, uh, Colt Beauty. And through our partnership here with Sephora in Australia, they launched us into Sephora across Europe in 12 countries and Southeast Asia in five other countries. And uh, the first year, last year, we were in store, we were online only with Sephora across Europe. And this year we're going into over 400 retail doors with them because they've seen the opportunity in skin screen through ultraviolet. So that's really our proof of concept. 
that then gives us a model for what we can achieve in other markets. And yes, we've built quite a robust financial model for the next three years because we think that's pretty much all we can reliably look to uh, about scaling um, in additional markets, but yet still achieving growth in those markets that we're still only brand new in. And also layering onto that a, a product development pipeline. So there are multiple angles of growth and that all comes together in what um, you know, our proposed growth looks like and what funding we therefore need to, to fuel that. I think when we're talking about a product that, you know, a very functional product like sunscreen is and kind of pushing it into the beauty um, and skin world, you know, our messaging is definitely more geared towards the anti-aging because, you know, if you're thinking about a 28-year-old, 27-year-old, you're not like no one. They're not thinking I'm going to get cancer. I need. To, they're thinking I'm going to get old. I don't want to look old. I That's want, a new thing, though, is it? Is it? Yeah, it's. I guess it's sort a relatively new thing. new thing. It's probably always been around. And it's definitely pushed more towards women than than men. Should I never thought about when I was? I'm definitely thinking about it these days, but I didn't think about it then. Yeah. Mm. You've obviously done a lot of fundraising, um, and you asked us about investment. So we're we're at that point where we're about to um, pitch the brand. We've got a great suite of contacts that we're going to talk to. I wanted your view on the Australian investment community, strengths and weaknesses versus the international investment community, because we're talking to both. And, you know, there's assumptions you'd make about Australian investors versus international that are relevant to our industry. But I wondered what your experience was and what the strengths that you saw in the Australian investment community versus international. Um, Well, the Australian investment community will understand an Australian product and they understand the story. in the context of what you've been telling me. But it, to be fair, um, the international investment communities, particularly in the US and Asia, um, they've got more money. Mm-hmm. They, they tend to have, let's say they got, let's say an Australian raise, Australian fund raises $200 million, they've got a place at $200 million, otherwise they get what they call negative carry. So they've got to invest the dough. They can't just sit around and not do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Where if an Australian fund will raise $200 million, an American fund will raise $2 billion, and mm-hmm. they've got to, so they've got to find more investments. Now, Obviously, they have a lot more opportunities because they're in the US. They're getting hit up a lot more, but the but they do like to have um, variation. So, like in terms of geography, mm-hmm. so they like to be able to see their their investment fund with st- opportunities from other places around the world, not mm-hmm. just from America. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are funds that just invest in these sorts of businesses, your type of business, cosmetics mm-hmm. and you know sunscreens and things like that. So, my view on it at the moment is that liquidity is probably much greater in the US mm-hmm. and in Asia and they are probably more, I wouldn't say desperate, but more in need of um, demographics and geographic diversity mm-hmm. in terms of the things they invest in in order to have a balanced fund. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And you may well present to them exactly that. Okay. But it's a timing thing because, you know, if they've just raised money, you might be perfectly positioned, but if they're at the end of their fund and they nearly invested all their funds, they're not mm-hmm. going to raise any more money, then it's a, it's not so good. So, you know, you could end up roaming around the US, and I've done this. You can mm. be roaming around the US and everybody's done. They've, they've, they've invested. Right. So it's a timing thing, which is why I asked you earlier, do you have somebody to lead your mm-hmm. ro- round? Um, and generally speaking, when I used to do it, I used to do it with um, big banks like Deutsche Bank and Eben Emro. Mm. And uh, that's because they had big offices in New York and right. they had all the contacts they around the world. Yeah. So, yeah, um, whereas when if I was raising in Australia, just using an Australian, I used to use Westpac actually to do the round here, yeah. sometimes Macquarie, because they had all the local people on tap. Mm. But look, I used to tap the money out here pretty quick mm. and I'd have to go over to the US. So I used to raise a billion dollars every, in the wizard days, I used to raise a billion dollars every six weeks. 
What? Yeah, wow. billion US. And um, so, yeah, because that's how much we'd lend. So we yeah. had to raise money. Yeah. And, um, and uh, I did that for like three or four years, literally going overseas. And in the end, the Australian funds tapped out. They had too much of us. Right. So we had to get variation by going overseas and the US investors were fantastic. Right, great. US and Asian investors are fantastic. Singapore mm. is a fantastic environment. Mm. So I'd be looking to make sure, make sure I got the right lead, what they call lead, mm-hmm. um, someone who's got access to other places or organisations that can help them mm-hmm. with access. Mm-hmm. And I'd be, I would, would not, I would not be exclusive in Australia. I would definitely be reaching out to the Asians and Americans. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. is there a greater sense of vanity that exists today? And I don't mean vanity in a mm-hmm. bad mm-hmm. sense, but just, no, just being conscious of how you look mm-hmm. relative to what you want to achieve, whether you want to do better at work or whether you want to, you know, keep your relationship going because you want to remain attractive or whatever the case may be um, or just want to be in the game. Um, yeah. <laughs> what? Is is there a much more acute awareness of this vanity factor today? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think social media, I think people having, you know, people being on their phones, seeing what other people look like and then you see the rise. You know, you see 20-year-olds going to get Botox and get, you know, you see. Beautiful. I haven't seen it but I heard, I hear about it. You probably mm-hmm. have seen it but not really realised. Yeah, 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 but you see, you know, you see on Instagram and TikTok and Instagram you see 23-year-olds with like lips pumped up with so much filler. And that's scary. It's mm. terrifying. Um, and Especially I guess look at them side on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's scary. And then you think about, you know, what kind of world our kids are going to grow up in. I read an article um, from a dermatologist the other day saying that we, Australian women tend to look five years older than their counterparts from other um, from wow. other countries. Mm-hmm. And because of the sun damage. That is, that is purely because of sun. And whether that's presenting in fine lines, wrinkles, um, pigmentation, well, that's my, yeah, mm. it's regardless of what it is, it is something that they're seeing. So, your skin plays a massive part in your how you look, and and people are really conscious of that. Women, particularly, have been taught to fear aging, um, and you know it, it kind of is what it is. We live in a patriarchal society, and that's just how how it is um, for now, but we, you know, it's something that younger people are really conscious of and, and you know, if we can say we're, if you start wearing sunscreen at 16, you know, you might not start thinking about Botox until you're 40 or whatever it is, but that's like it's that's kind of messaging is is definitely part of our brand because vanity is important and it's, I think it's perceived to be negative but it's it shouldn't necessarily be. I think taking care of yourself and the way you look and how you feel because how you look is very kind of linked with how you feel, um, you know, is is a major part of, of the brand and, and the message. Vanity and health, um, you know, blood brothers or blood sisters, I mean they're, mm-hmm. they're connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To look good you've got to be healthy. Mm-hmm. The organ you're looking at is the biggest organ in our whole body. Mm-hmm. Skin. That's your skin. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we forget that our skin is an organ mm. and yet we bash the crap out of it mm-hmm. all the time. And uh, when I was a young person, if you were suntan, you were considered healthy. Yeah. Um, it's amazing how things have changed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I guess it's probably a, a factor of getting lots of different cultures into our country mm-hmm. who have influenced the way we think, not just the old good old Aussie process of you know put the baby oil on you go out there or coconut oil and go and sit in the sun for three hours and science you know and and science science teaching us big part of it like big part of it and and all the platforms that you're talking about you know Mm. the the social platforms etc but all the platforms you're talking about um they are educating us all the time whether we like it or not we are being educated more and more Mm -hmm. and you're selling into that 
and that may be part of it. You just sometimes timing is so important. Absolutely, mm-hmm. context is everything. Yeah. Totally, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, your part of your success might be you're just you've hit a rich vein right now, <laughs> mm-hmm. a very rich vein, and it's probably going to get deeper yep. as you go along, mm-hmm. and you're selling into it. You can't dispute what the sun does to our skin. So yeah. I don't think that's going to change. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm in trouble. But and I and I. I guess, I mean, the final thing that I love about all this is um, Australia has that reputation as being mm-hmm. hot, dry, and, the, you know, the sun's quite tough here. I mean, yeah. I hear people talk about it, like I've been to Australia and I was in Sydney and I couldn't sit in the sun for more than half an hour. Mm-hmm. I go to Europe, I'm sitting in Greece, and I can sit in the sun for five hours yeah. and nothing happens. Yeah. So that whole Australianisation yeah. of your product, yes. we have had seen other people to do it. Megan Gale tried to do it many yeah. years ago with zinc, Invisible, I think it was, and, zinc, and yeah. I think uh, Elle's tried to do it, but no one's really pulled it off and here's you to just uh, sort of nail on it. So congratulations, <laughs> well done. Thank, Thank you, we're you. trying. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a great I really think it's a great concept, particularly given that you've got um, hydrational, you know, moisturiser in there as well, mm-hmm. and uh, you, you've, you're allowing your customer base to skip a few steps. Mm. And yeah. uh, it looks like you've covered off all the issues. And by the way, uh, nothing's happened to my hand; it's still yeah. exactly the same, and uh, it feels exactly the same as the other ones. So Excellent. it works yeah. great. great. <laughs> Wonderful yeah, approval, chick from uh, Mark, Ava and Beck. Thanks very much. I really appreciate it. Thank thanks, you, Mark. Mark. Lovely to chat to you. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Mentor with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistants, Simon McDermott. This is a mentored podcast. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.